Well, today we are continuing our series on prayer this summer. Uh, last week, Darren shared with us the need that we have to be still and know that He is God. Indeed, we are too busy, way too busy. Sometimes it's because of our own choices. Sometimes it's because of circumstances and it's thrust upon us. But regardless, we need to take cave time, time where we stop and get ourselves centered on the Lord in the midst of our chaos. Well, this morning, I would like us to focus on what I think may be the most critical part of our cave time. Inspiration for this message came actually when I was out walking my dog one morning, listening to Chuck Swindoll uh, share a message. Uh, he was in 1 Peter chapter 3. And at one point, he quoted 1 Peter 3, verse 15, which says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Then he went to say, on to say that you probably heard this verse used and as something that's really good in having an altar call, where you're calling people to make a commitment to Christ. And he said, while, while that is an okay use for that, that's not what Paul is doing right here. This is not how he's using this phrase. This verse really has little to do with coming to faith and a lot to do with living out that faith. So this morning, I'd like us to start by diving into 1 Peter 3 to get a better understanding of what Paul is talking about when he says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. For those of you who are using newer translations, I'm actually going to be uh, referring to an older NIV version because I feel it better captures the meaning of what Paul is trying to convey. So 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 15. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Notice the context here. The context is suffering. In fact, them suffering for doing right. This is not a passage about becoming a Christian. But it is about Christians living their, out their faith in challenging times and, and situations. Will they give in to peer pressure? Will they walk in a way that denies the faith that they have? Will they seek revenge for their unjust suffering? Will they allow bitterness to take root? Will they fight back? Will they return evil for evil? These believers are living in challenging times, and their faith is being put to the test. Peter's exhortation to them was that they set apart Christ as Lord. It's as though he is saying, don't let peer pressure be your Lord. Don't let revenge be your Lord. Don't let bitterness be your Lord. Don't let the fear of punishment be your Lord. Don't let your desire to fight back be Lord. Don't let your personal desire for justice now be your Lord, but rather, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. If these brothers and sisters in the faith are going to live out their faith, they will need to set apart Christ as Lord in difficult situations. They're going to need to wrestle with who or what is going to guide them into the next choice that they make. As I pondered what Chuck Swindoll was saying, I began to see how this wrestling is like what we need to be doing in prayer. Prayer is the place where we bring our challenges to the Lord and wrestle with them. 
Here at Salem, we talk a lot about cave time, time where we spend reading God's word or reading what others have learned from God's word. Cave time is a time when we pray, both talking to God and listening for him. I would like to take the remainder of the, the message today and put it into a metaphor with our cave time. The first part of the metaphor is a picture of us bringing something into the cave where we meet with the Lord. The second part of the metaphor is exiting the cave, hopefully having set apart Christ as Lord. We have a variety of psalms where King David is doing this very thing. So I invite you to turn to psalms. Uh, the easiest way to find psalms is just go right to the middle of your Bible. You'll end up in psalms somewhere, and then you can do the math from there. So we're going to start with Psalm 13. In Psalm 13, what is David bringing into the cave? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. What was David bringing into this cave experience? Feeling forgotten? Feeling invisible? Feeling like God was hiding from him? He's wrestling with his thoughts day after day after day feeling great sorrow, feeling like he's losing day after day after day. He's even feeling like, you know, I'm going to die if God doesn't do something. So that's what David is bringing into the cave. Now let's look at verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. Here's one of the many times that I wish the Bible were, shall we say, more complete. Can you give me more details? What happened here? I read verse 4, and you're in the dumps, and 5, you appear to be happy as a clam. What happened? Can you fill in verse 4.5 or something here? While we don't know the details, we can gather some evidence at the scene. Something has happened, and David's focus has turned now towards the Lord and his faithfulness as he sees it in his love. While he began the psalm focused on his troubles, he's now staring at the unfailing love of God. And the fact of this faithfulness of God is then brought to bear on the challenge at hand in such a way that David's salvation from his problem is certain. It was far from certain when he started, but now he's at a point where it is certain. What happened? Again, I wish they would fill it in, but let's speculate for a moment. Perhaps David decided to look back on the faithfulness of God up to this point in his life. Maybe the Lord spoke to him and said, David, when was the last time I was unfaithful to you? Or maybe David reminded himself, said something like, wait a minute, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. The faithful God of my past will be the faithful God of my future. He will take care of this in his perfect timing, which is clearly not mine. 
Whatever exactly happened, it is clear that it led David to see that he had allowed his problems to become bigger than his God. It helped David to put God back on the throne of his life. It helped David to set apart God as his Lord. Well, with God back in the rightful place of David's life, how does David exit the cave? Verse 6, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Wow, what a change. He wasn't saying, wow, God has been so good to me in verse 1 or 2 or 3 or 4, but now he's come to this conclusion. God has been so good. He's walking out feeling encouraged, confident, and hopeful. How is that possible? Well, exactly we don't know, but clearly David has set apart God as Lord, the Lord of his life, his shepherd. He still had his problems, he still had his fears, but he also had the Lord back in that first position in his life. His fears and problems didn't just go away, but his heart was set on the Lord. Let's go to Psalm 51. This one's rather famous, the one that he wrote after he had been confronted about his sinfulness with Bathsheba by the prophet Nathan. Instead of reading all the verses, let me share the request that he makes at the beginning of this psalm. Have mercy on me. Blot out. Wash away. Cleanse. Create in me a pure heart. Do not cast me away. Restore me. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. David enters the cave painfully aware of his guilt and his feelings of hopelessness. But in verse 16, we see things begin to change. There he says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Again, I wish David had given us more details, but it appears that in verse 16 that the Lord is opening his eyes to see that the offerings and the sacrifices that David knows full well that are required, yet they have not changed his heart. Perhaps he's remembering all of the offerings and sacrifices he made in the past, and nothing's changed. He did the right thing, but the heart is still in trouble. While he did obey the requirements of the Lord in these matters, his sinfulness remained, and the depth of his sinfulness was becoming painfully obvious. In verse 17, it seems that the Lord is making clear to David that the Lord is looking for a broken and contrite heart. Perhaps David is beginning to see that those sacrifices were supposed to have been offered with a broken and contrite heart. They were supposed to be something more than checking off the boxes of the Lord's requirements. Perhaps we are seeing David, or the Lord opened David's eyes to see the need for repentance versus just feeling guilty for having gotten caught. Whatever it was exactly, David is wrestling in the cave with the Lord, and David's understanding and faith are growing. How does David leave the cave according to how the psalm finishes? Well, to summarize, um, he's not as devastated. So we definitely see him leaving in a better mood, in a better state of being, but he's not leaving joyously. 
There's more wrestling to be done in future trips to the cave. And if my estimation is correct, based on the rest of the story as it unfolds in the Bible, it will be months before that repentance is complete. And the child that came from that relationship dies. At this time, David does not leave the cave victoriously. He has not yet set apart God as his Lord. He's headed in the right direction, but he's not there yet. Let's take a look at Psalm 28. One more Psalm of David. How does David enter the cave this time? To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. If you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially to their neighbors but harbor malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring on them what they deserve. Notice what David brings into the cave this time. Interestingly enough, there is a sliver of truth that he has brought in. He has said, Lord, you are my rock. And yet, as we see, he is more distressed than assured as he enters into the cave. He's not sure that God will answer. He's crying out for mercy and for help. But then we notice a change. Let's look at verse 5. Because they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what his hands have done, he will tear them down and never build them up again. Interesting switch here. Verses 1 through 4, you God, you God, Lord, have mercy. And he changes from talking about God as you to he. Hmm. Who's he talking to? Well, assuming nobody else is in the cave with him, he's talking to himself, it would seem. And he's reminding himself of who God is and that God does have an eternal justice that will be served, but not necessarily now and clearly not in the timing that David would like. He then goes on in verse 6, Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Wow, that's quite the change from the beginning of the psalm again. The reality of which he spoke in verse 5 seems to have hit his heart. God does have a final justice that will happen. It doesn't seem like it right now. The wicked are just getting away with all kinds of things. But David seems to have reminded himself of something he already knew. The Lord will destroy the wicked in his perfect timing, in his perfect way. So David allows the certainty of God's future to affect his present. What a wonderful example of there are things that we look towards in the future that should be bringing us hope. We don't just go, oh, someday it's going to be all good and whatever, but right now life is... Like, no, bring the future glory, the hope, the redemption into your today. Allow the Lord and what he's going to do to be the Lord, to be on the throne of your life. Now let's listen to how David exits the cave. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I will praise him. 
David has indeed set apart the Lord as the God of his, or the God is the Lord of his heart. David's demand for justice now is not going to be the Lord of this situation. David's trust is back in the Lord. He's got him back on the throne of his life. Now, let's also notice that his problems aren't gone. Even though he's, he's all happy there, like, ooh, okay, we're problem solved, the problems are still there. He's still struggling with them, but they aren't the boss anymore. David's enemies, in this case, didn't just drop dead. God didn't make them vaporize or anything, and they didn't leave. But God is, or David has chosen to accept the long view of God's ultimate justice in place of his own desire for justice now. Well, let's take a moment to look at somebody besides David. These are great examples of David. Let's do one more. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. And here we see Jesus entering into the cave. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. When Jesus headed into, headed into the cave, what did he bring with him? Sorrow. He was troubled. He was alone, even though there were 11 guys with him. And he was wanting a way out. Notice he asked three times. He's wrestling with God. In fact, it says he went to pray for an hour. So this little exchange here between Jesus and his father isn't just a verse. It's an hour of wrestling. And then he goes back and does it again and again. My will or your will? Eventually gets to the point of not my will, but thine be done. And he sets the father apart as the Lord and master of what happens next. So how did Jesus exit the cave after having brought in sorrow, aloneness, and a troubled heart? Verse 45 says, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, my hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus exits the cave convinced and reassured of the Father's plan. He still felt alone. He knows what is ahead, but he now confidently heads right into the danger zone with having set apart in his heart the Father and his will. Well, we can see from the examples of David and of Jesus, the cave is a place where we wrestle with the Lord. We bring our challenges there and wrestle with them and with the Lord. 
The cave is a crucial place in our lives as disciples of Christ. The cave is the place where we decide who or what is going to determine what we do next. Now, I would like to stop and make a couple of points here. First of all, please note, it is okay to wrestle. King David, a man after God's own heart, wrestled. Jesus, the very Son of God, wrestled. It is okay to wrestle. It is highly encouraged. It is necessary to bring our challenges to the Lord and wrestle with them. Second, bringing your problems into the cave doesn't always mean they will go away. Jesus didn't walk away from the garden there, kicking up his heels and a big smile on his face going, isn't life great? You trust Jesus or trust the Lord and it's just marvelous. No, he still had that heaviness, but he was committed because he had set apart the Lord in his heart. Third, having wrestled successfully with a problem doesn't mean we won't have to do it again. And again, David's a great example of this. Many times we hear him going, God, why aren't you listening? God, why aren't you listening? Many of the same requests, again and again. This was not a one and done kinds of thing. We will have to wrestle again and again, and that's okay. It's a struggle sometimes because we, you know, we have the verse that says, you know, hey, you know, you're a Christian now, the old has gone, the new has come. Uh, that's not exactly what it's talking about. That, okay, everything's just going to be fine. We'll put the Lord in first and we'll never waver. That's not what it's talking about. There is this wrestling. There is a newness, but it does not release us from the fact that we're still sinners who are wrestling with our own sinful nature. Yes, we look forward to the day when we get to see him face to face and all of this is gone, but in the meantime, we wrestle. Fourth, what needs to happen in the cave is a setting apart of Christ as Lord, both for David and for Jesus. Wrestling, okay, but who's coming in first place? Who's in charge? Who's on the throne? This is where we make this decision. And while their challenges didn't change, their challenges were no longer the boss. The next point that I would like to make is that we don't go to the cave alone all the time. We don't need to. Sometimes we go as a group. As many of you know, Deb and I uh, have a grief share group. And several weeks ago, we met and, well, there were lots of absentees, which meant there were, there were significantly fewer people who were there. So more people had an opportunity to share. And share they did. We never made it through the lesson for that day because people began sharing lots of hard stuff very spontaneously. And when it was time to go, we felt like we had experienced cave time with the Lord together. We walked into the cave with painful questions. Why did my child die? Why is the injustice of my situation going on with no relief in sight? Why is God not answering my prayers? I'm angry with God. Am I grieving well or not? Why does it hurt so bad? I don't want a new normal. I want the old normal back. These are what we brought into our corporate cave time. And as we wrestled with these, the message from Chuck Swindoll came to my mind, and we talked about what it meant to set apart Christ in our heart as Lord. Was sadness going to be Lord, or was Jesus? Was anger or loneliness going to be the Lord, or was Jesus? Is justice now going to be Lord, 
or is Jesus? Were my unanswered questions going to be Lord or was Jesus? As we talked about these things, it got rather intense at times. But by the time we were done, there was a piece of the room that wasn't there when we started. And that piece came from setting apart Christ as Lord. Please note, the problems did not go away. The sadness was gone, not gone. The anger and loneliness were not gone. But they were no longer in the driver's seat because in our hearts, we set apart Christ as Lord. In the weeks that followed, some of those problems found their way back to the driver's seat. And we needed to scoot them out and reestablish Jesus as the Lord in the midst of this. Well, as we continue to meet now, we continue to wrestle. Jesus is not walking us around the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is not walking us over or under the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is not removing us from the valley of the shadow of death. But with Jesus as Lord, he is leading us through the valley. We need Jesus as Lord. We need to set apart Christ in our hearts as Lord. What challenges do you need to bring into your cave? Maybe it's by yourself, maybe it's with others. But that's where we need to bring them, to the Lord. Wrestle, honestly. Say mean things to the Lord in the midst of your anger. That's okay, he can take it. But be honest. And recognize that in the midst of this, you're going to wrestle with him. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? My anger, my fears, my desire for things to be different, that's not going to be Lord. Jesus, I want you to be in control. I know you're not going to take this away, but thank you for walking through it with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are God and that we can trust you. Lord, thank you for the many reminders that you give us in Scripture that you are God. You want us to be still and know that you are God and trust you. But Lord, thank you too so much for your patience with us. Thank you that you will work with us. Thank you that you welcome the wrestling. So Lord, would you help us to be real and to be honest with you, whether it's by ourselves or with others. Lord, help us to wrestle well. Help us to set you apart as Lord in our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.